guess. I Are think we so. ready? You're yes. rolling. You're rolling. Delaware Rock and Roll Society wants to welcome you to Guitarville. <laughs> we are at the home of Rick Griffin, which is filled with guitars. Even the decorations as you go into the bathroom. Okay, it really is Guitarville. When I pulled up out front, there's a guitar in front of the, you know, in front of the house. So, um, yeah, we know what Rick's into. It's definitely into guitars. Rick, were you born in Delaware? I was not born in Delaware, no. Where did you come from? I was born in Chester, Pennsylvania. Oh, a very good, uh, uh, very good friends there. Yeah. yeah. Very good connections there, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, where did you go to high school? I went to high school, I spent one year at William Penn, and then I went from there to Del Castle Technical High School for automotive repair. Okay, which is something you do on that side in yes. your free time. My free time. Yeah, yeah. 2 to 3 a.m. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Goodness. And a lot of people depend on you for that. So that's pretty cool. So was it exclusively country music in your household or was it no, rock and roll? No, it wasn't. It was, it was early on, it was rock and roll. I had, you know, some older siblings that were into, you know, the, the heavier rock and roll, the classic rock of the 70s. Used to get a lot of that. And uh, my father, started out playing country music but then he, he did pick up a gig with Bill Haley in the early 50s and played with him for a while. Nice, and that's I think bragging that time, right. That's they, bragging rights. Yeah, I think at that time they did play mostly country. Mm -hmm. That was before they got into the band. It was actually called the Saddlemen. Okay. And not the Comets. Okay, and what was your dad's name? His name was Jim Griffin. Jim, okay. All right, super. So it all started before you, this, you know, history of music, yes. this, you know, music being a part of. This guitar, I'm going to take a strap off of it, mm -hmm. was a guitar that my father built by hand. It took him three years Wow. to build the guitar. I mean, he didn't work on it constantly in those three years. He just worked on it for a while and came back to it and, and then went back and probably earned some money to feed the family and then went back and worked on it a little bit more. Amazing. But, um, and he passed eight years ago and left this to me. And precious, precious things. Yes, and he actually built that guitar stand. Oh, and, wow. And he made the strap. And as you can see, the, you know, the, the, the cross on there, the Christian cross, he was very much into gospel music. Oh, later in life. okay. Okay, super. Well, it was country. It was. No, yeah. You know, no way around that. Okay, so... When did you first, what's the earliest you remember your dad playing, you playing? The first time I went out and played with my father, I believe I was about 13 years old. Oh, all right. And uh, actually performing in his band. Before that, they would have band practice at, at our house all the time. You know, he had all, yeah. all his band members come over to the living room, and I would just grab an old guitar and sit there, and whether it was plugged in, electric guitar or not, I just sat there and <laughs> played along with him. And, uh, I picked up a lot of my early guitar lessons from those uh, practice sessions at the house because the, you know the other members of the band would stop and take a break and and one in particular would stop and show me okay well this is what I'm doing here and, and show me some of the runs and things that he was playing. Neat. And at I learned 13. a lot of that way. Yeah. Actually, that started when I was about eight years old. Okay. You know, going out and actually performing with them, I was 13 the first time. Oh man. Do you remember where it was? 
a place called the Brown Fox in Dover, Delaware was the first place that I played. It was an old uh, military airplane hangar that uh, they converted into a nightclub. Neat. And uh, that was the first place that I played out. So 13 at the nightclub. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, attracting the girls already at 13. I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you were. I was, I was pretty shy. At that time, I wasn't doing any singing at all. I was okay. just, just playing guitar with them. Just playing the, the music. Yes, that's, real, that's really neat. So how much longer did your dad play beyond that? My father passed away on July 27th in 2014. My father's last gig was July 24th, 2014. Three oh days before he passed away. He was yes. yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. And you said there were other family members older than you? Yes. Did I had, they play? My brother played, he played back in high school, played in a high school band called The Vibrations. Okay. Um, they were pretty big in the Newcastle area at the time, but um, he didn't stick with it. He just played for, for fun. Gotcha. And um, that was pretty much it. My sister sang a little bit, you know, with the band, but um, you know, there were six of us all together. And I was the only one who picked up the music curse. <laughs> the music curse. I love it. But look what it's given you as far oh, as decorating I wouldn't, ideas. Wouldn't you change know? it for anything. I, I totally get that. When it's in your heart, it's in your heart. Yes. Yeah. Um, so as you moved along from the age of 14, mm -hmm. what were the bands that you were a part of? Well, I played in my father's band quite a bit you know, for a lot of mm -hmm. years. We actually had... Um, like I said, I, was, I think I was about 15 years old at the time. We had actually had a four-night-a-week gig over in, in New Jersey. I believe it was in, um, like, Pennsville or Pennsgrove area on the river. Okay. President Truman's yacht was docked there, and this company bought the yacht and turned it into a nightclub. Okay. And we played on that for four nights a week for about three years straight. Wow, very cool. Do you remember seeing anybody important? Or maybe you weren't old enough to be impressed. I, no, I, I really didn't at the time notice. You know, I, I, I did see a few bar fights and a couple of people go overboard. Oh boy! Into the river, but uh, uh huh. Go That was always interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. So who then beyond that? Um, I played with Mario Rocco oh. in a band Live and Kicking for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I did have my own band back when I was in school. Didn't really do too much with it other than playing at the house in the garage, maybe a few block parties here and there. Okay. But nothing really serious. And um, who was in you, in the band with you? Who was in your band? Well, it was myself. Um, Tony was playing drums for us. Um, I'm trying to remember. Larry played guitar with us. Um, Larry, um, him, and I have been friends since grade school and we still we still stay in touch with each other and his brother that's about it okay tony tony who tony cyan he's a real estate agent now in delaware i'll be darned yes okay so yeah. let him know he's getting some advertisement on your <laughs> on your interview here yes yeah absolutely yeah. and who was in the band with yourself and mario that was constantly changing. The, the, that band back in the day was a revolving door, but two of the constants were Donnie Cartelli. Oh, yeah. And I guess myself. We had um, Tom Watson played in the band for a little while. Okay. Uh, he's playing with Colleen Watson at this point. Yeah. Uh, Dante Denise, who just unfortunately passed away about two weeks ago. 
He was a bass player, one of the bass players. And, uh, like I said, it was a revolving door. You know, back back in those days, it was it was really tough to keep a band together, mm -hmm. and uh, that was one of the reasons and one of the things that led me into doing what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. and, Operating. Yeah, it started. This started back in like 1998. I had uh, a gentleman that I was working with was. Um, he was an Elvis impersonator, mm -hmm. and he was Italian. He could barely speak any English. Oh man! He spoke with a really heavy Italian accent, but when he sang Elvis, he sounded like Elvis. And he actually won an Elvis con competition down in Memphis, and ended up getting signed and contracted to play at the shops of of uh, Elvis. Cool. Uh, Graceland shops. And uh, he, when he came back from that gig, you know, him and I got together. He lived a few doors down from me. And we were starting trying to put a band together, and it just wasn't working out. So we decided at that time that we were going to start sequencing the drums because we couldn't get a steady drummer. And then Tim Cleary wouldn't play bass for us, so. Oh. <laughs> so I'm just kidding, Tim. But so, he's doing a good job behind he's, the he's camera doing today. Job behind the camera, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but um, we just had so much, you know, so many different personalities, and and you know, everyone was looking to get something different out of it. You had the ego trips and the people that didn't want to show for practice. Welcome to the band. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's pretty common, I think, with pretty much every band all over. And so what we started doing was we started sequencing the tracks. We spent about a year putting together backing tracks, you know, with drums and bass guitar and some mm -hmm. keyboard. And, and uh, Adriano, the keyboard player, or the singer, actually played keyboard, so that helped. So we put together about, spent about a year putting that together, and then we started going out doing shows from that point. Okay. We ended up picking up a gig at the Hunter's Den in Marshallton. Yes. And we were the house band there for 14 years. I was going to say, I know you were there for a long time. 14 years. 14 yes. years yes. is a very long time. Yes. Every week. In, in band <laughs> existence. Week. Yes, it yeah. is. It is. But, um, so from that point, you no, know, Adrian and I parted ways, and you know, I had a couple other people in the band with me, you know, that I brought in. Mm -hmm. um, Dave Fury was one. Dave and I played together in a a church band. We we did charity stuff. The band was called Midlife Crisis. Okay. Um, Dave was playing bass. We had a gentleman, Ben Glenn Walker, was playing drums. Glenn mm -hmm. plays with Montana Wild Axe and, yeah. and a few uh, other bands. Right now, he's I'm playing with What the Funk. I think is the name of the band he's in right now. Mm -hmm. um, Tony Romano was the keyboard player. He actually owns a an electronic business on Basin Road in Newcastle. Okay. And um, Lou Barletta was actually the Lou was the, the one that actually got me into band. Lou and I were um, instructors at a martial arts studio. Okay. I was I was doing martial arts instruction, and Lou was one of the other instructors there. And he said, hey, "I'm playing with this church band, and you play guitar. Maybe you want to come sit in with us." And that's how that got started. And that's where I met Dave, that actually followed Adriano in the, in the, the two-piece band that I had. Okay. And uh, Dave was with me for a while, and he started having some health issues, so... Um, Hasn't been out to play. He's out playing again. He's, oh, he's, he's doing much better, which is a good thing. He's, he's, he's doing better. But at that point, um, Ken Bolden, I asked yes. Ken to step in. Ken came in, was going to be a temporary thing until Dave got healthier. And Dave was out for, for such a while that... You know, when he started getting better, he just said, "You know what? I don't want to take this away from Ken. Just let him mm -hmm. you know, be, your, you know, do the music with you, and we'll do some other stuff on the side." So, for a while, I was doing it with Ken and some stuff with Dave on the side. Got you. And then. Uh, yes, I saw you and Dave once. 
before he got sick, yeah. you know, and then saw Ken a lot. And yes. the two of you together were really fun. Well, yeah, Ken was a character. He's a character. <laughs> he is. He's a fabulous yes. DJ on um, He does a great uh, job w on the radio. WHG, I think it's WHGFM. It's Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Saturday afternoon, yeah, yeah. out of uh, Rising Sun, I believe. Harvard Grace. Or Harvard Grace. Yeah. Yes. But he's still doing that. And uh, he's he's also moved on. He's looking into doing a, a Kenny Rogers tribute show. I know he's just down, just got back from Florida where he was performing down there for the past month. Nice. And uh, since I've got Connie singing mm -hmm. with me. Mm hmm. And uh, that seems to be going very well. We're, we're getting. Pretty much every venue we've gone to and played at, they end up coming up to us at the end of the night and this out for the rest of the year. Understood. So it's going, it's going really well. Understood. You guys are stellar. You brought to each other, I've seen you, you brought to each other the best of your skills and presentation. And anybody who gets a chance to see them together, don't miss it. Rich and Connie. She carries Sweet me stuff. pretty well. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, brings out the best. Brings out the best in you. Yes. Well, on the way to these kinds of things, I hear rumors that you have some kids who have voices. I have a daughter that is an amazing singer, yes. Mm -hmm. um, she sang with me for a while. You know, Dave and I. And she would come in and, and sing with us. And then uh, she ended up getting her priorities all screwed up and got a job as a nurse and got married and had kids. So that responsible yeah, stuff. Responsible Jeez, stuff, you know, making musicians look bad. I know. <laughs> no, but uh, she does have a really good voice, and my son's a, a killer guitar player. Okay. He's played with a band that um, they've actually had um, put out a lot of original music, mm -hmm. and they had their music published, and they actually had a. a CD release party at the Queen in Wilmington. Okay. And they had three different radio stations that were recording it. Nice. And from that, uh, YSP out of Philly was playing his music. Cool. And uh, what's the band name? The band was at the time was called. Um, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> so it was. I think it was called Torn. Okay. And uh, but of course, same thing. Band issues. They ended up. Oh sure. Yeah, you know, splitting up and. Sure. Uh, you know, and on. so he's he's not playing with the band right now, but he's still a place pretty much every day. Okay. Sometime at their space, you and Connie, it'd be nice to bring either or both of them on. Yeah. Yeah. If you can That'd twist awesome, their arms yeah. away from the responsible behavior. Yeah. Come yeah. on. These kids today, I tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. You guys you and Connie were the only people I know who worked consistently through the worst of COVID. Yeah. Um, that says something so amazing to me. It doesn't just say you're good performers. It says you're reliable. You work with everybody. You want to be there. You're on time. You deliver what you're, you say you're going to deliver. You know, and to be able to, to say that you know, when everybody else was struggling, you know, I, I was working, you know, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah you, really, you really have to love it to do it, and we both do, and at the same time, you still have to treat it as a business. You know, you have, you have to give your, your customers what they're looking for. You have to be there when you say you're going to be there, mm -hmm. you know, and um, you got to be respectful to them and, and their patrons. 
Yes. And, and that, I think that kills a lot of, a lot of bands that, that some of the members just aren't very um, friendly with the people there or the staff. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we treat the staff as if they're our customer too. Yes. You know, we take care of them. Nice. Absolutely. Behind us, there are a couple of other guitars here in Guitarville. This guitar was a gift. This was a gift from my father. Okay. It's Taylor. Right you want here. to pick it up and talk about it for a minute? Yeah. My father gave me this guitar. This was, he, he my father went through playing country, playing some rock and roll in the early days and back in the 50s, and then he went back to country music. And then he switched over to bluegrass. I'm not sure why, but he did. Okay. And uh, he started playing bluegrass, and, and I think it was more the gospel music that got him into bluegrass than it was anything else. And this was his main guitar that he played. Wow. And when he retired from his job, he went out and treated himself to a brand new guitar. He went to Taylor and ordered a guitar just the way he wanted it. And when he did that, he passed this one down to me. Wow. This is really beautiful, this yeah, work that's here. that's just a, a, an insert to keep the feedback from the electrics on the guitar, but... Okay. Yeah, but this is a pretty special guitar. Oh, man. How do you decide, you know, which ones you are going to play when you're going to a gig? Do, do you ever take... This guitar does not go out on a gig. Ever. Okay. No, okay. because, I, you know, it's it's in pristine condition. You see there's no mark on the guitar anymore. Yes. And we, we definitely want to keep it that way. want to keep it that way. Absolutely. So this one never goes out. This one, this one is my parlor. Hello, guitar. little fuzzy buddy. Little fuzzy Molly. Very cool. And, and this is a guitar that was my first attempt at building a guitar myself. Okay. So I'm still working on getting it set up and yeah, but um, Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, I see the initials. What's the W? Wayne. Okay. Richard Wayne? Richard Wayne. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. That was a Actually, a little bit of John Wayne is where that name came from. Okay. But, uh, and this is, like I said, this is my first attempt at building a guitar. So what kind of wood is is this? What's the predominant wood here? I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's an African wood, but I'm not sure okay. the, the actual name of it. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I bought this as a, as a, it was already cut out, and then I shaped it here and shape okay. it on the back to make it a little bit more comfortable to play it. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it, the blank was already cut out. Okay. And then I just, you know, got all these custom pieces and put it together. Nice. Nice. So, so once you've completed that, might you take it out on a gig? I probably would, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good, good talking points to be able to say, yes. now pay attention to this guitar because this is my blood, sweat, and tears. In it and this guitar, I am in front of. I will bring this one out here. Okay. This guitar is a. Uh, it's an anniversary edition that Fender put out. This is a 1959 Stratocaster, or I'm sorry, 1954 Stratocaster. Whoa. And uh, it was made in. Uh, by hand at Fender, made just the way it was made back in 1954. They hand wound the pickups. Everything that every process that they used in 1954, they used to build this guitar. Cool. And this was, it was an anniversary issue because it was 1954. They only manufactured 1954 of these. Fabulous. And and you got one. 
there's a yeah. pretty emotional story behind his guitar. <laughs> okay. So take a deep breath. We'd love to hear it. <laughs> um, I had ordered this guitar when when I first saw it was coming out because I do the Buddy Holly tribute, mm -hmm. and this was a perfect guitar for that. And we found out that my wife had cancer, so I canceled the order. And. My wife passed away, mm -hmm. and this guitar showed up two weeks after she passed away. She had gone back and reordered it. Oh, how fabulous. Yeah. Oh, Rick, that's, that's, that was an amazing gift so, for yeah. her. An amazing gift. That's yeah. pretty fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Now, it showed up like after she passed. Mm -hmm. and I, at that point, I had no idea she had ordered it. Yeah. That's wonderful. And these other ones are just ones I have around that are just, you know, my playable guitars, ones I take out, ones I, okay. I use for shows. That is, one is, is everything Fender? No. That is a Paul Reed Smith. That is a, I believe that's the 35th anniversary model. Yeah, it's 35th anniversary Paul Reed Smith guitar. And uh, that's designed as acoustic that I picked up. I wanted to be able to take an acoustic out to shows once in a while. I didn't want to take those, this one out. Right. One. So I picked that one up. Okay. And uh, there's plenty more around here. Yes. There's uh, there's some out. Actually, I have some in my room back that I use on a regular basis for my shows. Okay. And there's a few more upstairs. Things. That said, it's Guitarville here. It really is. Oh my goodness. So, what other instruments do you play? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at That's the ukulele. Mm -hmm. I, I, I tinkered around with that. Um, I actually went probably about 15 years ago or so. I actually was playing the saxophone. And one of my big inspirations was Al Santoro. Oh, yes. He'd help me along with that a little bit, and, but I just didn't have the wind or, or the, or the um, patience to to keep that to going. Keep on. that going, yeah. 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 But you did you have any um, formal musical training? I did a little bit. I went, to, of course, had the music theory in school. I went through right. that. Um, I actually went when my when I was in the eighth grade. My teacher was in, I guess most of my math teacher, um, she was in, it was in Gunning Beverly, her, uh, her name was Mr. McDowell, her husband was a music teacher. And uh, he had talked to me about, well, when I was in music class and was asking about different people, what they played, trying to get different people in the band. And that's why I just played the guitar. I don't want to be in a school band. There were horns and that was boring. drums, and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I want to play rock and roll. That's no rockabilly there. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> but he convinced me to bring my guitar into music class, and I ended up doing a solo for a Christmas show with my guitar with the school band. Cool. And how old were you? 13, maybe 12, 13. Fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. This is what you were going to do no matter what. Yes. No matter what else happened in your life. Yeah. This is what you were going to do. Yeah. Wow. Who are your inspirations other than Al Santoro? <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, 
my probably one of my biggest was Buddy Holly. I mean, I, I think Buddy Holly was probably. I mean, he gets a lot of recognition, but I still think that he's probably the most underrated musician. Mm -hmm. he, he was so innovative with, with things he was doing back in the 50s that yes. even Elvis looked at and said, wow, man, we should be doing this or doing that. And uh, But um, he without was... Without the technological without, aspects. Yeah. It's, so. it's, it's funny. There was a story about how they, they basically started using reverb and echo in their music where it wasn't just wasn't available back then. Okay. Buddy Holly's family was, they, they did, his father had a ceramic tile business. Okay. So what they did was they went up into the attic of the recording studio and they tiled the entire floor and the walls of the recording studio. So it was slick. So they, and then they put a speaker at one end of it and a microphone at the other end of it and they broadcast a voice through the speaker back into the microphone and with all that tile, it basically gave you that I'm singing in the shower kind of sound. Wow. And that's, that's how they got their reverb into their music back in the early days. Cool. And uh, yeah. he, he also was the first rock and roll artist to ever put an orchestra behind his song. Which song? Which song? Two Little Boys. Oh, uh, yes. Two Boys. If I remember right, that's one of your favorites. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, the whole idea that, that, that took incredible dedication. Yes. You know, so in, when you're talking about him being way up there mm -hmm. in the innovate in the list of innovators, yes. that's mm -hmm. absolutely impressive. Yeah. Okay, who else? Well, Elvis, of course, he was everybody's inspiration. I think you know he was out there. Everybody wanted to be Elvis when we were younger, and, and I think mm -hmm. almost everybody is Elvis now. There's so many impersonators <laughs> out there. <laughs> They're on every street corner, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, Elvis Presley. I mean, I did have some country music, you know. In my blood, also and Merle Haggard and yeah. some of the earlier guys like that that, that were pretty inspirational. Um, but um, yeah, it's Johnny Cash is another one. Mm -hmm. so. Well, what you do, what he does, is a phenomenal presentation of Johnny Cash and Buddy Holly, and um, you would swear you were listening to each of them independently without a and he doesn't have a cartoonish coverage of them he doesn't take their um uh, attributes and yeah, stretch I don't, I don't them. impersonate them i just yes. do a tribute to them yes yes, yes. but it is very much right there if you haven't heard this guy get off your butt because he's gone into the delaware rock and roll society hall of fame on october 9th um, at the Baby Grand in Wilmington. Um, this guy's a treasure. And we're not finished talking, but I just thought I'd throw, throw that in there um, right now. Um, what do you still want to do? What do I still want to do? Well, I actually had a, uh, an opportunity to go to Nashville and there was, I had some recording time set aside at Playback Records. To do, to do a recording there, but they wanted me to do an original song. I really didn't have anything prepared. So I ended up sitting in with five Nashville songwriters in a podcast playing guitar, just like a little jam session. And that, that was awesome. Cool. That was really awesome. But um, I would like to someday get myself up on a big stage with Connie, you mm -hmm. know, with, with a big band like Club Fred behind us. and and do a show with a full band. I think that that sounds like something that could happen. Yeah. 
I know a whole lot of people who would be there for that. Or just do it at the Grand Ole Opry, one or the other. Okay. Okay. Next time Club Fred's there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. Or next time you're there, you'll take them along. There you go. Oh, yes. That that yes. is fabulous. When you are a performer and your focus is um, uh, Johnny Cash and and Buddy Holly, mm -hmm. and you can go just sit in with any other band that makes an incredible statement about your skill. You know, if somebody wanted to play Ricky Nelson or if somebody wanted to play um, something in the Lawrence Welk styling, okay, you, you're still there. You, yeah. you still play. I actually did a Ricky Nelson song. Oh, geez. Um, when I was 14 years old on TV, live on TV, for the first time I'd ever been on TV for a show called Past Country. Which was Pat Rollins and the Rollins Cable Company oh, yeah. in Delaware. Oh yeah. He had a music, had a studio over in, in Ogletown on Route Four, and um, I was actually live on TV at fourteen. Amazing. Doing a Ricky Nelson song. Just, just, just amazing. I'd like to uh, um, just ask Connie, who's here with us, just to poke her head in. She's not dressed for an interview, but just. Come give you a hug or whatever, so everybody can see how adorable she is and get ready for uh, um, the next time they're out looking for some music. Let's come on over again. Oh, yeah, and here come the fuzzy guys yeah. too. Yeah. There we go. All right, this is Rick and Connie. It doesn't get any better, folks. Okay. All right, all right. As I look around the room, there is an amp that looks like it came from one of my high school dance bands. <laughs> that is actually, it's, it's a Fender reissue of a Fender Deluxe. Of course it's a Fender. It's, yeah. um, that amp's probably about, I'm going to say about 15 years old, but it looks like it's about 40 or 50 years old. Cool. It's got the old tweed finish on it, the two-tone tweed. Do you, so. do you take it to your shows? Have you ever? No, I used to. I don't. You know, if I'm doing a Buddy Holly show, I might take it out. Mm -hmm. um, but with the technology today, you know, my guitar amp is about this big in my pedal board that goes right into the PA system. It's just amazing. It is amazing. You know, with the technology uh, that's changed so much, we went from carrying super heavy stacks of speakers to to almost nothing. And little two-inch tweeters and a subwoofer out on the, on the show. and and uh, it gives us just as much sound and actually better sound. Better sound. You know, the old, the old equipment sounded great. It had that nostalgic kind of sound to it. You had the buzz and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, some of the distortion and everything, but um, the newer stuff is just so clean. And, you know, it makes you be a better musician because everything comes out. <laughs> Everything's of heard. Yes, yeah. everything's heard. <laughs> Clear. Wow. Yeah. So. Now, I know when you started, you know, it was pretty much country, mm -hmm. um, although, you know, I see bits of rockabilly in there, or what yeah. I would describe as rockabilly. Yeah. And um, today, uh, you're not doing exclusively country. No, we're, we're doing it. Connie and I are doing a pretty good mix of music. We're, we're doing some, some stuff from the 50s. We're doing stuff from the 60s. We're doing some country. Do a couple of blues numbers. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Tim. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I'll let it. But um, we we try to we try to have a mix to cover 
um, a large crowd. So a lot of places we go to, you know, we try to play mostly friend, family friendly places. We're not really into the bar scene. You know, we'll do right. restaurants. You know, we like to do the VFWs and, and the American Legion, things like that. Trying to get back a little bit to the, to the veterans, and, and it's, they're just a fun crowd to play for. Nice. Um, so, give me an example of what you know. The songs from the '60s, songs from the you know the '70s. We do, um, of course, Buddy Holly. You know, do mm -hmm. a good mix of Buddy Holly, Dream Lover, some Elvis. Um, Connie does Patsy Cline. She does Connie Francis. Um, the Ronettes, and uh, it's just so many different ones. It's hard to to, to get them all out there. But um, with that, we do some country. We do some classic country. Mm -hmm. We do some modern country. Um, like I said, a little bit of blues. And um, we're we haven't been singing together for a long time. We're working on getting a lot more of the duets. You know that we're trying to put into our show. Mm -hmm. But it takes time because she's got to teach me how to sing <laughs> <laughs> some of these songs. So, but, uh, yeah, but we, we try to mix up pretty good. Gotcha. And uh, we are, right now, we are booked just about every weekend through the end of December. That says it all, doesn't it? It, it truly does. Well, y you've seen how it was in the past. You've seen several er eras here, and you're talking about music that you've compiled from all of those eras. Um, what are your thoughts about what's happening in music today? Well, I think, well, for one thing, right now it seems like this area is <laughs> flooded with musicians mm -hmm. out there playing. Mm -hmm. Some are very good, some not so good. I'm, I, I really don't like to put down any other musicians, but there are some people out there that are playing, I mean, more just to get out there and play for the money, I believe. And they're, they're killing the industry. They, they don't realize it, but they're killing the industry because they're going in and they're playing for a low amount of money, and it makes it tough for, for the established musicians to, to, to earn the pay that they deserve. A lot of places right now are still paying the same amount of money they were 20 years ago. And, you know, talk about getting raises, that's wow. not and it's something that happens in the music industry. If you're playing in a local club, that local club is going to pay you what they paid you 10 years ago. And sometimes less. Mm -hmm. COVID brought out a lot where a lot of these restaurants, and, and we actually adjusted our pay scale down to accommodate them because a lot of them got hit so hard because of COVID. Yes. That they really couldn't afford to play for entertainment. So there was a time during COVID, we played all the way through COVID, which right. was pretty unusual. A lot of people didn't. Um, but what we did was we, we would play outside in the parking lot of a club rather than inside, and we would play for tips. We kept the patrons coming in, we kept the club happy, but we adjusted down to, to fit the times, you know, in the situation. Yes. But I think after COVID, a lot of these clubs are now still paying that low amount that they just don't want to come up and pay mm. you know what the musicians are worth and there's there's a lot that goes into it your your equipment is is crazy expensive today I mean each one of these yes. guitars I and mean, this guitar back here one of these guitars is sold at auction for ten thousand um, dollars they're not cheap the equipment's not cheap the technology is great but you're paying for it if you were going to go and buy a a starter guitar, not something you know where somebody's just plucking, mm -hmm. but um, getting started. Ballpark, 
what would you expect to pay? I would say if you, if you want a guitar that, that you can, a beginner can pick up and learn how to play, you're looking at three to five hundred dollars. You can buy them for a hundred dollars, but that's the guitar that you're going to pick up and play and say, I hate that, this just doesn't hurt, it hurts my fingers, it, right. it's just not a comfortable guitar to play because right. they're so inexpensive. And you see a lot of people that buy those guitars, pick them up, play for a couple of weeks and put it away and never play it again. Right. If you want to learn how to play the guitar, make sure you're playing on a decent quality guitar to start with. Mm -hmm. you know? So expect to pay 500 bucks. Yeah, cheap guitars is one of the biggest turnals for learning how to play the guitar. It really is. Aha, uh because -huh. it's not going to sound... It's not going to sound good. It's not going to feel good. It's going to hurt your fingers. It's going to be hard for you to make your chord patterns with. And it's just not a good way to start. Good if advice. you're really interested in it, spend the money. Okay. Have you thought about teaching? No, I, I have taught a few people here and there along the lines, but um, I'm not a teacher. I, I'm just because most of my playing I learned I picked up by watching other people. You know, I had a little bit of training. I did go, and I don't know if anybody out there remembers this. Tim Mike, because he's old like me. Um, <laughs> Mary Salter, Salter's Music in, in Newcastle. That's before my time. Mary Salter had it had <laughs> she had a, a, a music store in, in Newcastle and she was also a guitar teacher. Okay. And I took some lessons from her. Um, Nick Bucci. I had took lessons from him for a while when he was at Mid Atlantic Music in Nelsonier. And Tommy Alderson was also there. Tommy's a, a monster guitar player. Mm -hmm. And um, but that was pretty much it. Everything else I learned by listening. I, you know, when I started playing Buddy Holly records, trying to pick up how Buddy Holly was playing, which is Buddy Holly had a very strange style of playing. A lot of people don't realize was when he's strumming the guitar, he never strummed upstrokes. Everything was down, so he's moving his hand twice as fast. Oh my goodness! And I tried it to play what he was playing and played in a normal way. It was pretty difficult. But. Um, I would take the 45 record of his song like that'll be the day. Put it in the in the in the record player. Those of you remember 45s. Yes. <laughs> and I would turn it on and I would play it and I would put my finger on it and stop it and drag it so it plays real slow so I could hear every note that he's playing in the song. And that's how I picked up a lot of his. Stuff. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. Yeah. To to figure it out. That's yes. jing That's that jingling is another one of the puppies. Um, who are um, jumping around here enjoying um, yeah, he gallops. the attention. <laughs> yes, he does gallop. He gallops. Um, so what kind of advice would you have for? I would say the biggest thing is if you're putting a band together or a duo or even if you're doing solo and you want to go out and play, make sure you're ready before you go out. Don't don't go out if you're not, you don't have this song, you know, the songs that, that you need, you know, the, enough songs you don't have them down you know tight enough to where they sound good you know you want to be able to, to listen to yourself and want to play if you record yourself here's a good example you know someone told me this and I think it was my father had he had a lot of advice he said if when in doubt leave it out if there's a note or something that you're playing and you're not sure whether it's going to go or not don't play it sounds much better not playing it than playing the wrong note but the other thing too is record yourself and if you take that recording you keep playing it back and listening to yourself over and over again and you like what you're hearing then you're ready to go out and play if you play that song and you listen back to it so i need to fix this i need to fix that then work on it a little bit until it gets to the point where you're comfortable with it and you're satisfied with it and you're polished and you're mm -hmm. polished yeah mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and don't forget, you know, music, playing the music is only a small part of the industry. You've well, got to be a businessman. You've got, to, you've got to get out there and pound the streets and you're going to have doors slammed in your face. And because the, there's so much competition out there today, you take a CD or a flash drive and hand it to, to a, a manager of a, of a club to get played, 99% of the time he's not even going to listen to it. You know, it's persistence. You have to keep banging on that door until when you walk in there, he knows your name. Yes. And, you know, that's how you're going to get busy and you're going to get to work. And just just keep bugging them and bugging until you're so tired of hearing it, they just put you on a schedule just to, to, to shut you up, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much. Because it's, it's not easy. It's not easy getting work out there today. And there's a lot of it to be had, but there's also a lot of people out there going mm -hmm. after it. Yeah, vying for it. And just, you know, remember, you have to be as good or if not better than what's playing out there already to be successful at it. Attitude is everything. Attitude. Take take care of treat these people, you know, like they're your boss because they are. You know, we used to have a saying was you have you have all your customers, your customer is the person that's paying you. You have your internal customers, which I call are the staff, the people that work yes. at the restaurant. They're your internal customers. They're still your customer. You have to treat them with that same respect that you would a customer. And then there's the patrons that if, if they weren't there, you wouldn't have a job, period. So take the time to talk to them. If they want to talk to you, you know, listen to them, talk to them. You know, if they, they throw some music at you, a song or something at you, and they want you to, to play it, if it's possible and if it's something that would fit, you know, play it. If it's not, let them know in a polite way, that, you know, that's just not something that's going to work for us. You know, but if there's something else you want to hear, let us know. But yeah, make um, the connection. Make the connection with the people, yeah. And Connie's very good at bringing the people into the show, making them part of the show. You know, there's a couple of songs that she does where she'll get a, a bunch of ladies up and get them singing back up with her when she's singing <laughs> and get them involved. And those women are at every one of our shows. Yes. They come out to every one of them. Yes. So, you know, you have to make that connection. You have to build that loyalty. Treat every person yeah. there like they're the ones that are paying you because they are. Yes, they are and respect for other musicians and other bands. You know, you hear some of these people that go out there and they, you know, they're, they're going to cut through you or, or me or Tim to get a, a gig. And uh, I, I don't work that way. I'm like, I'd rather, you know, bring people in and say, hey, there's plenty of work for us. You know, make friends with and, and go out and see other bands playing when you're not playing and get to know these people because those people are going through the same thing you're going through. And if they get a call for a job that they can't do, hey, why don't you give Rick a call? You know, he, he might be available or there you go. You know, something like that. And it's, it's a network and you have to treat it as that. And you have to be respectful to all the other musicians and, and treat them the same as you would want them to treat you. In this, what we'll say post-COVID, but it really isn't post-COVID yeah. time, that's yeah. really important. It is really important. Important information. Yeah. Important advice. Mm -hmm. Music is a cutthroat business from start to finish. It really is, and you got to love it to stay stick with it. But you know the rewards are are way beyond. Have you written a song? Uh, I have written. I've actually co-written a couple of songs with Dave. Okay. Um, but nothing that I have published. Okay. Think, so, is are they songs that you might try out? Um, 
on a stage? One of them is pretty personal, probably not. Okay. I did it one time at the Grand Opera House on stage, and that was pretty much about the only time I've ever performed a song. Okay. Okay. So. I know that for many, many years, you opened every one of Lois Lipton Parker's shows. Mm -hmm. She did the rock and roll shows, the national rock and roll shows that all happened here in Delaware, predominantly at yeah. the Grand Opera House. We opened up shows for Bobby Rydell, Bobby Vinton, Danny and the Juniors, uh, Charlie Gracie, um, Dickie Dale. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And uh, quite a few. Church was a Sherry Austin Reeves. Yes. Enough for her. Mm hmm. And, uh, yeah, quite a few of the old rockabilly, rock and roll stars back in that day. Yes. Yeah. And uh, not, to, not to forget the Times. The Times, Caesar and the Times, yes. Yes. We did a, a New Year's Eve show with them at uh, the Candlelight Theater and also with Jersey Four, which is, was the uh, Frankie Valley tribute band. Yeah. Mm hmm that actually played, uh, from what I understand, they were actually part of the, the movie. Yes. The Jersey Four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Jersey Boys. The Jersey Boys. Yeah, yeah. they're Jersey Boys. Yeah. More Jersey Boys. Yeah. Yeah, making that harmony. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. It's a lot of fun. So you see, you know, his behaviors and his presentation and his music have made a difference so that he has associations with so many, many, many people um, spreading the happy keeping the music going and thank you oh thank for all you. you and George do for the oh, music in Delaware you're you're welcome we're, we're having a ball we get to hang out with yeah. people like you well, thank you so it's an honor to hang out with people like you and George okay sure super all right what do you think that's build it building in that's a wrap I don't I don't know where that half an hour went so fast it's like um 50 minutes. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Okay, mm -hmm. yes. You can close it. Unless you so wanted to make